The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word to us. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Uh, if you don't already know me, my name is Cale Freeman. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege to get to open up the Word of God with you all today. So uh, you guys pray for me, and I'll pray for you and pray for our time, and uh, then we'll jump in. So Father God, we pray, um, having read a text and opened it up, Lord, that is Scripture. It's, it's the Word of God, and we want to know how to obey it and how to follow it, and, and Lord, it's also full of things that are 
uh, maybe strange to some of our ears. But Lord, we pray that this entire time is given to you, that we would worship you and that we would follow you and that you are uh, the, the main point of all these things, Lord. And we, and we say that you are a, a much greater uh, gift giver than the gifts that you give us. So Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, it's probably not lost on anyone here that, um, you know, whenever you think about, like, tourist destinations and, like, the top ones, that Paris, France is, like, among, like, the highest. I think it's maybe, like, the sixth most traveled city in the world. And, uh, you know, I bet in a room this size, there's probably a few of you who have actually been there. There's probably a few of you who would really like to go someday. Uh, but all the same, if we think about Paris, uh, most of the time we think, okay, first of all, Eiffel Tower. And then in terms of landmarks, probably the second one would be the Notre Dame Cathedral. Now, this cathedral has been in the middle of the city for a very long time. Uh, they started constructing it in like the 12th century, and it's been there ever since, even with all the wars and conflicts that have gone on in the city. And for centuries, men and women have been traveling to Paris to be able to see this great site, to be able to see what men and women have done in order to take just average stones and to build them up into something really beautiful and really magnificent. Well, that, normally, uh, that, uh, that nearly came to a sudden halt in 2019, whenever it caught on fire. Um, they still don't really know what started the fire. It, uh, it may have been an electrical issue. It may have been uh, just like a careless cigarette. But one way or the other, the entire roof caught on fire, and that really big, beautiful steeple on top was just completely lost. But there were already statements. Like, they were still putting out the fire whenever the statements were made. Like, hey, we're going to rebuild this. And it's going to be built in such a way that it's going to look exactly the way it did and the way that people have been coming for centuries to see these stones and how they've been built up into something just absolutely magnificent. Now, you may not be into architecture, and you may not be into, like, old uh, buildings and whatnot, but there's, there's something in all of us where we enjoy seeing things be built up and to be made better. Uh, just think about, like, that old restored truck that you see driving down the street in Guthrie or Edmond. You know, it's like we see that and we're like, wow, like, that is really cool. That's beautiful. But even more than that, we all know that we also like to be built up ourselves by way of metaphor. We, we all love it whenever, like, like, we think of that friend that we have and we're like, man, every time that person talks to me, I feel built up. I feel like he has made my life better. And we all enjoy that, and we all uh, know that, and oftentimes we're still more interested in building up things rather than people. Well, in the Bible, there are multiple ways that we are called to build each other up. But one way we often neglect, which is the gift of prophecy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, the gift of prophecy. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and we've been talking about the spiritual gifts that are listed in these uh, three chapters. And we've talked about each of the different gifts up till now, except for prophecy, which we're going to hit today. So uh, if you're uh, new to this or you haven't been here the last few weeks, spiritual gifts, simply put, are manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus. So for those who believe in Jesus, that he really was God in the flesh, and that he came to die on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins, for those who say, hey, there's no righteousness in me, and all righteousness is in Christ, and, and we put our faith in him, that he rose again, for those people, he said that he would give us the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit cannot be seen, it's spirit, and yet occasionally he manifests himself, or he discloses himself among us through these spiritual gifts. There are always a way for us to serve one another in these ways. 
Now, there's many different gifts. As I said, we've already talked about them. Uh, if you had deja vu during the uh, scripture reading, we read the same scripture a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Steve taught on the gift of tongues. If you missed that, you can go back on our podcast. But uh, today, we're going to be dealing with these verses about the gift of prophecy. So if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. We're going to jump around uh, all over the place there, but we're going to start there. Uh, a little bit in terms of context. Um, you know, Paul is not giving us a, um, like a textbook on, like, here's each of the spiritual gifts and here's what they mean. He's assuming that they already know a lot of these things. Uh, the main reason why he's writing this is to correct bad understanding and bad theology around them in the church of Corinth. It's likely that uh, what that church was doing was they had elevated the gift of tongues as the most spiritual and the greatest of all of the different gifts. Uh, and they were doing it in the uh, church gathered, and his main argument is, hey, listen, instead of doing that, instead of um, trying to do that in the, in the worship gathering, instead you should be focusing your efforts somewhere else, which would be the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy is not something that we talk about a whole lot in 2023 in Edmund and Guthrie and these kinds of places, uh, but it's something very common back then. Um, you know, all the pagan cults at the time, they, they had prophecies, same word. And uh, in the Old Testament, we have prophecies, same word. And yet, what Paul's doing here is explaining uh, information about the gift of prophecy that's actually different from any pagan cults or, or any kind of prophecy that they would have. But it's also slightly different than even the Old Testament prophecy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So my hope is to make this gift clear to you. And, you know, as funny as it is to say, like, I want to demystify prophecy to you, that I'm going to try, <laughs> you know. And, and also, I'm going to try to give you some help in how to step into this and seek it uh, as Paul is calling us to today. So uh, with that, we're going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1. I'm going to read that, and then we'll just... Jump right in. 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. First thing I want you guys to see in this text today is that the gift of prophecy builds up the church. The gift of prophecy built up the church. So it starts off not with prophecy, but with love. He says, pursue love. Now that sounds like a very Christian thing to say, right? Yes, we should pursue love. But he didn't just throw that in there. He's uh, coming on the tales here of 1 Corinthians 13, which is like that famous chapter about love, and he's summing this all up, and, and a summary of that would just be that the highest of, of, uh, of Christian maturity is not the amount of like spiritual gifts or how spiritual you even seem, but it's that you love God and you love others. So he comes back to it and he says, okay, so here's the command out of that, pursue love. But then he follows it with another command. He says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. These two words, earnestly desire, they come from one word in the original language. It's called zelao. And it has been translated correctly. But I want to give you a more full definition just so you can kind of see where I'm going to take this. It means to be positively and intensely interested in something. To strive for something. To exert oneself earnestly. To be dedicated to the pursuit of something. So he's not just saying, hey, like, have really strong sentimentality towards this. Like, you should really want it. Um, no, no, no. Instead, he's saying, hey, like, you should actually strive for this. You should actually move towards this. You should actually want this. So he's saying, yes, pursue love. That's the highest thing. But he's also saying, pursue the spiritual gifts. But then he, said, but then he goes on. He says, especially that you might prophesy. And, of course, that's what we're talking about today. 
So what is prophecy? Um, you know, if you just looked at like a, a dictionary definition of prophecy from the Greek, um, it always has this idea of, uh, of communicating a revelation from God. A revelation being something that he reveals to you that you otherwise couldn't know. But we actually see this in our text, where prophecy and the word revelation are being used interchangeably. Um, let's see, in uh, 1426, it says, What then, brothers, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Likewise, in verse 30, it says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So it's being used interchangeably. So what do we do with that? Uh, well, there's a few different ways to define this, and trusted teachers have different ways of doing that. So we have to give each other uh, grace uh, and humility on this. But um, here's a, I'm going to give you a short definition and then a longer definition. The short definition comes from Sam Storms. It's a really good one. It says, a human report of a divine revelation. In other words, you see or you understand some kind of thing that God has revealed to you, and then you give a report of it. This is what I saw. This is what I felt. Now, a longer definition, although that's a good one, and I agree with it, would be this. An attempt to share what appears to be a revelation of God for another person that's typically uh, applied to the details of their life. Okay? So I'm going to be going uh, through that and explaining that as we go. And likewise, uh, I'm also going to take some time to explain how this uh, works. So um, there's three parts that seem to be at play. Uh, three steps, you could say. There's revelation, there's interpretation, and then there's application. So let me explain. Uh, revelation, this is what God has revealed to you spontaneously and miraculously. And then there's the human report side of it, which would be interpretation, a.k.a. like, well, I see this thing or I felt this thing. What do I do with that? And application, well, who is it for and how should I um, express that to someone else? We'll get into exactly why um, this is our stance here in just a moment. But before then, I want to explain to you the reason for prophecy, which would be in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In common vernacular, if we say something like prophecy, you might be thinking, oh, like uh, future uh, predictions. And indeed, it could be that. We have New Testament examples of that. And yet it says right here very clearly that the reason for it is not so much that as it is for the upbuilding and the encouragement and consolation of others. It's saying that um, whenever this happens, whenever God reveals things to a person for someone else, ultimately that is for their comfort. It's ultimately for their emboldening, their strengthening in the faith that they would actually become more and more the people that God wants them to be, the men and the women that he wants them to be in faith in him. We do get something at the end of this passage, though, that is slightly different, but I think it still fits in there. That would be verse 24 and 25. It says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So here we have an example. I'm not going to do that, by the way. Um, here we have an example of conviction of sin, where someone walks in not believing in Jesus Christ, but then someone has something revealed to them in such a way that they could have never known that about the person. And the person confirms that, and they say, how on earth could you have known that surely God is among you. Now, 
that still seems to be for their upbuilding because if someone walks into a room not believing in Jesus and then they walk out of the room believing in Jesus, that's certainly for their upbuilding. So the gift of prophecy builds up the church. That is its purpose and that is what it uh, does. Now, this might sound crazy to you, um, you know, and, and I get that, um, but it's not so novel at the time of the New Testament. Like I said, there's prophecies all over the place. Paul doesn't define it. He's not, his point isn't to explain it exactly in the original context. He just knows that they knew what he was talking about. But for those of you who are in the room who are Christians, but you're a little skeptical about this, I don't really think it's that far off from what you already believe. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, whenever we know someone in our life who doesn't know what they think about Jesus yet, like they, they, or maybe they just like don't believe in Jesus and they've stated that explicitly, um, a lot of times we pray for that person. Um, and by the way, if that's you in the room, um, we're really honored that you would be here today and thanks for spending your time with us. And just to say like, yeah, we believe that God is real and, and we pray for the good of other people. And we know that we have found something amazing in Jesus Christ and we want to share it with you. But for those in the room who pray for others, and you might pray that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, what else are you doing other than praying that God would supernaturally put some kind of desire in them that wasn't already there? Or maybe you'd say, well, maybe it's not supernaturally. It's like, okay, well, what do you want him to do? You want him to intervene in the natural world to put things together so that they would end up believing in him. Like, you're, you're praying that he would do something supernatural in their life, and more often than not, you're praying that, you would, that he would put desires in someone's heart. So why is it difficult to say that God might actually put some kind of information in someone's head? Now, of course, we have to argue that that is what these texts are saying, but surely, if that is what they're saying, it's not that far off from what we already believe and are normally more comfortable with. So that's a little overview of like what the gift of prophecy is, but now I want to talk about how the gift of prophecy is different than other kinds of prophecy. Um, the word prophecy is like any other um, you know, word, uh, or well, let me put it this way. Um, the, there are many words that, depending on the context, have different, um, a different sense or a different meaning, and prophecy is one of those words. This, this happens in any book that you read. This happens in the Bible. Prophecy occurs all throughout the Scripture. I mean, you're going to find that word everywhere, but depending on the context, it might mean something slightly different. We have what would be called in the Old Testament, uh, like, Scripture-writing prophets, like these guys with, like, sweet homeschool names, like Moses and Isaiah and, like, Ezekiel and... Zechariah, um, you know, those kind of things. Uh, these guys are scripture-writing prophets. They are different. They have uh, the highest of authority on all manners of, uh, of faith and, and life at the time that they lived, and so we have the scriptures from them. Now, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 18, um, like, hey, uh, like Moses knew that he, he was going to die one day, and he's like, okay, how do you know if someone shows up and they say that they're a prophet of God, how do you know that it's real? Not a, bad, uh, not a bad question. So he says this in Deuteronomy 18. He says, Well, whenever a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, this is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. Now, a couple of things. That's assuming that they're making a futuristic prediction. And upon making that, and it is true, then after that, they're seen as a prophet of God, and you have to do whatever they say. Also, by the way, it says in a different place in Deuteronomy that if they're wrong, uh, they die. 
Um, so I'm really glad that that is not the case today. But that being said, uh, it's, it's, it's vastly different. Because in 1429, we hear that the gift of prophecy is actually subject to being weighed or evaluated. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. So notice they're, they're already known as prophets. And let the others weigh what is said. To weigh, meaning like to judge or to test. So here's what we got here. We've got guys that are already called prophets. That's already different. And they're not being judged or evaluated. What they're saying is judged or evaluated. And it's not like, hey, here's your entrance into being a prophet. It's every time you exercise the gift of prophecy, every single one of those is subject to being tested and weighed. That is not the same thing whatsoever uh, in those regards of authority or accuracy from the Old Testament. And thus, this has to be something different. Surely there's a ton of uh, overlaps and similarities, but it is different. Now, lest you think that this is just some like, weird thing that's in 1 Corinthians and like, doesn't occur anywhere else and it's super hard to understand, like, I don't know, a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, um, check out 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 20 and 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So we have here multiple places in the New Testament where it's assuming that you actually have to test these things. And yes, that does mean that it is possible that they contain error. Not the revelation part. God says exactly what he wants to say to someone. But on the human report side, we could get it wrong. Now you might say, like, well, what good is it if it can be wrong? Like, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, let me try to answer that for you. Um, you know, uh, this last Thanksgiving, the day before... Uh, Real win and, uh, for my family, and uh, it was also like a super hard day. Uh, the win was our Christmas decorations were already up for the year, uh, which like we don't normally get them up uh, until like the week of. Uh, you know, my fault, not my wife's. Um, but that being said, uh, we already have it all up, but the reason why it was a drag was uh, we all had a stomach virus, and it was terrible. Don't ask me about it. But we're all in the living room, and uh, my daughter jumps up, and like we're watching like TV, uh, and we're all dog sick. She jumps up and she starts like just like she's excited, but like in, in like the bad way. And she starts saying like he he's eating it, he's eating it, he's eating it. And I, I'm like I don't understand what she's saying. So I turn around. I see my one and a half year old uh, son who is eating something, which you know like it's typical that he's like stashing snacks all throughout the house. So I'm not like too worried. But then I see that in his hand is a Christmas ornament. And this was, like, from the 1980s, probably. It's one that we, like, inherited. And it was, like, a saxophone, and, like, the end of it was missing. And I kid you not, his mouth was full of glitter and blood. And then you know that part on, yeah, I know. Uh, and then you know that part on the Grinch, like, the Jim Carrey one, where he eats the ornament? I heard him chewing glass. Just, <laughs> right? Okay. So we end up going to the ER, obviously. Um, and because we acted fast enough, and then, you know, I run over there, I start getting the glass out of his mouth. Um, he didn't ingest any, which is great, and he was totally fine. Um, and I have a great story now. So, <laughs> so that being said, uh, you know, I, I say that because whenever my daughter jumped up, she did her best to explain what she saw. And I was still very thankful for that. <laughs> and it was still a value. Now, you might say, well, that's not a spiritual gift. Indeed. But here's another one. Teaching. Teaching is a spiritual gift. It's listed, I believe, in the, in the book of Romans as a spiritual gift. I think everyone in this room would agree that it's possible that someone could be exercising teaching and get something wrong. 
So there's already a paradigm here that suggests that, yes, it could be a spiritual gift and there could be some kind of error in it because people are involved. So I know that a lot of you guys have different backgrounds with the gift of prophecy. Some of you, you're like, I've never heard of this at all. It's like, hey, like, welcome to the party. Um, but, you know, for the rest of you, it's like some of you might have grown up in something that was like, hey, you know, you might get a prophecy and like, you know, those like those blank pages at the end of your Bible, you can just like write in whatever that is and it's the same as scripture and that's nonsense. That, that is not what is being taught in 1 Corinthians 14 in any way, shape or form. You do not have that authority, even if you have a homeschool name. I homeschool, by the way. Um, so, uh, though I am new to the party, maybe I should lay off. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is, though, um, you might have a background where you're like, I'm reacting against that, like, really weird stuff, and thus, I'm going to get to 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to read through it like I do every year, and I'm going to say, I don't know what that means, and let's just keep on moving. But I think that there's a, an invitation here from the Lord for us to actually see the commands that are in here, and for us to actually uh, consider what this would mean for us today. So lastly, uh, who can prophesy and how do we do it? Um, a couple of verses for you. Verse 1, which we've already hit. Excuse me. Uh, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we have a command. Earnestly desire these things. Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. Okay, so he wants, wants people to prophesy. Verse 12, uh, in the context of this, he could be talking about prophecy or one other gift. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What it builds up the church? Well, one other gift and prophecy. The other one would be interpretation of tongues. And then verse 39, he's about to like completely be done with this entire section. He's going to move on to a completely different subject. And this is what he says. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, you know, and he says, don't for, uh, forbid speaking in tongues. So th- at least three different places here, if not four, where he's explicitly saying you should earnestly desire, you should strive towards this. And then in Acts 2, which happened in the timeline before this, uh, the Apostle Peter, he gets up and he gives this big sermon, uh, apparently in the open air, and uh, there's, there, I say a big sermon. He gave a sermon, there's a lot of people there, um, and he tells them the gospel, and he says, hey, listen, this Jesus guy, he's not just a guy, he's God in the flesh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but He's so good and we're so bad that we need him that badly that he died for us as a sacrifice for the bad things that you and I did. And he rose again to prove that he did it and so that we can follow him. And 3,000 people come to faith right there and they had probably like the craziest, most fun baptism celebration ever. Can you imagine that? Stop, like 3,000 people, just one, two, right? But the reason why I bring this up, this is how it starts. He quotes from the prophet Joel. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So I give all of those references there to you to say that, Not everyone will prophesy 
However, everyone at least has the possibility of doing so. Because if it's a command in Scripture that you should earnestly desire it, then certainly it's saying, hey, like that might actually happen. Now we have to remember 1 Corinthians 12. Paul explains that not everyone will have every gift. And he's not saying everyone should prophesy. He's saying everyone should earnestly desire to prophesy. So, yes, we should all seek to hear from the Lord for the building up of the church. And at this point, I just want to get super practical for you all and explain what this would look like today and what this has looked like today. And I think you're going to see that it's actually not that much different than what you might already be doing. So four things, four steps, really, which would be to listen, to speak, to weigh, and to pray. So first one, to listen. Um, Whenever you're going to pray for someone, it's a good practice to merely start that prayer with this. Um, Lord Jesus, do you want to say anything? And then you just wait. Um, Or it could be, Father, like, you know, we, we invite you to speak here. And then you wait. By the way, he may not speak. You can't make God speak. It doesn't work. And that's okay. Then you go on praying if you don't hear anything. That's fine. And then maybe you do see something or hear something. It could be uh, a picture in your mind's eye. It could be an impression. It could be that a scripture comes to mind. Uh, there's many ways. If you look at the full weight of the, of the scriptures, you can see plenty of ways in which God interacts with people. But you listen. And then secondly, if you see something or you feel something or you, you feel like God may have given you a revelation, then you have to speak. Now, there's some really helpful ways to begin something like this and to end something like this. There's some supremely unhelpful ways to do this. So we should avoid things like, uh, like this. Uh, God told me to tell you. This is the word of God for you. And please never say, thus saith the Lord. Um, you, you don't have that kind of authority. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is arguing for in 1 Corinthians 14. You, you don't have that kind of authority. You're not a scripture writing, uh, scripture, uh, writing prophet. Instead, here are some really helpful ways to say that, or at least one helpful way. I have a very strong impression that I believe, maybe from the Lord, I think it's for you, would you mind if I shared that with you? Just s- simple as that. I think I have a strong impression, or I have a strong impression that I think or I believe is from the Lord. Would you mind if I shared that with you? Now, if a person says no, then like that's fine. But if a person says yes, then you can share what you believe you saw, and then you can try to apply it to their life. And then you can end that with, hey, I could be wrong. Test it. See if it seems right and timely to you. In other words, you're saying, hey, I know what 1 Corinthians 14 says. I know what 1 Thessalonians says. I know that I'm not the one, no matter how strongly I feel, that gets to test and weigh this, but the others who are present. We never want to make someone feel like they're disobeying God if they disobey your prophetic word, okay? Um, Because that's just, that's not the place you want to be. And by the way, just as an aside here, um, if you look at Acts 21, we find like the most interesting thing ever. Okay, maybe not ever, but really interesting in the subject. You have Paul who's on a spiritual journey to Jerusalem. I say spiritual like, like he's, he's being called by God to go to Jerusalem. And then there's these uh, disciples in the city called Tyre, and they're there, and they're talking to him. And they're, uh, the Bible says, in the spirit, okay, there was a spiritual thing going on there. And they were saying, hey, you should not go. 
So it's saying, hey, Paul is in the right, he's following the Spirit, and it says these disciples were in the Spirit. And then here's what it says after that. Paul disagrees, and he keeps going to Jerusalem, and the Bible doesn't say that they were wrong or anything like that. So it's like, what do you do with that? It's like, well, each of them had some understanding of what God has actually said to them. And then they're both making interpretations based off of that. Later on, a prophet explains that Paul's going to like be imprisoned and everything else in Jerusalem. So it's like, well, what would you do if you saw that someone was going to get imprisoned and uh, if they go to a place? Well, you'd probably say, don't go. And it was the Lord's will that he went. So we have to do something with these things. So what if I believe that a prophetic word, uh, you know, I, I've been talking primarily to people right now that um, might feel a little bit more skeptical about this. Uh, I want to shift to the person who's like, okay, uh, it seems right. I want to do it. Um, let me answer a question for you here. What if I believe that the, prophet, uh, the prophetic word is about something very personal or even shameful? Um, that's a really great question and one that many people have asked. Uh, the best thing to do is to go to a spiritual authority in your life. It could be a pastor. It could be your community group leader. Share that and say, hey, this, this seems very personal. It might even be shameful. I think maybe it's from the Lord what I do. And let them go ahead and test and weigh that ahead of time in addition to if you end up sharing it. And they might say, hey, you know, I think you should share that. Or they might say, hey, why don't you, like, pump the brakes on that? I don't know that that's right. We never want to do anything in a silo or by ourselves, and we certainly never want to publicly confront anyone with sin or anything else. So uh, listen, speak. Third, weigh. We have to weigh what is said. Now, if someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, uh, I think that God has given me something for you, would you mind if I listen to it? Or would you mind if I uh, tell you? It's like, okay, well, maybe you choose to listen to them. But then they say something, and then you're supposed to weigh it and test it and judge it. Well, how on earth are you supposed to know if it is right or not, except other by the word of God? Um, I don't have time to go there, but it's typical Christian teaching, typical, it is basic Christian teaching, that the Bible is the word of God, confirmed and sure, and it's how we know anything that we know about Jesus Christ, the life, or the faith. And a person who has the gift of prophecy is not the highest authority the Bible is. So therefore, how would you know if what they're saying may actually be some representation of something from God? It's like, well, how much does it line up with what God has already revealed in the scriptures? You see, in some circles, it's this idea that like, well, if I have prophecy, then I'm hearing from God, and I don't actually have to have the Bible that much. It's like, no, actually, you need the Bible even more if you're going to step into these kinds of things. Or if someone's going to come to you and share something, you actually need the scriptures even more so, so that you can weigh them and test them. And by the way, it's fine to just say, hey, that actually does sound right. Or you could say, hey, I think you missed on that one. That might have been bad pizza last night, you know. And that's okay. And the reason why that's okay is even the Apostle Paul is showing that there are times in which there might have error, and we don't have to feel shameful for that. And then lastly, by praying. Um, you know, by way of illustration, um, if I read from the Bible and I read something that I want applied to my life, it's a good decision to say, hey, I want to pray that that would be true in my life. We ask God for him to give us the things that he wants for us. So if you uh, share something with someone and they're like, hey, actually, I think that's right. That does seem like it's from the Lord. It's just a good practice to pray for them right there that that thing would be true. Because again, it's all for the upbuilding and the, uh, the uh, strengthening of someone's faith or to console them on a hard day. So here's one example. And 
If you got all of our pastors in the room, we could list off many examples. But here's one example that happened recently. Um, at our youth camp a couple of months ago, or one month ago, I wasn't there, this is a secondhand story, um, but uh, at our youth camp, there was one leader, and there's multiple churches involved in this, by the way, there's hundreds of kids, one leader said, hey, I think that God may have revealed to me something, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, that um, there's someone here who has lost a portion of their hearing, and it's really troubling them, like they're scared about it. So they share that from the stage, and then uh, another kid for, or a kid from another church tells his leader, and they all get in a conversation together, and this is the content of what he said. Um, hey, you just described me absolutely right. Like, everything you just said is absolutely true. This is new. Uh, it's been happening. Um, there's no way the person could have known this. He didn't know the person. And then he says, hey, listen, um, I'm an atheist, but I'm at this church camp, and by the end of it, he's wanting to know more about Jesus. He doesn't understand how on earth they could possibly know that, and yet, and yet that is the end of the conversation. So that's just one example, and yes, there's always charlatans, and there's always people who fake things, but what we have to do is we have to say, uh, here's what we have in 1 Corinthians it's very clear that we're not talking about another word for teaching or anything like that. We have something that's a spiritual gift that is very clearly a prophetic gift. And we have to do something with the fact that we're called to it as a command, to earnestly desire it, to pursue it. But more than that, though, like, don't you, like, want to experience that? Like, maybe you're not sold on it, but it's like, hey, if it's true, like, wouldn't you want to experience that? And by the way, Maybe it sounds super scary, and you're like, no way. It's like, okay, I understand that. But just imagine, like, your worst day of your life or the worst year of your life, and those prayers that you prayed saying, hey, God, like, would you just, would you just speak to me? Would you encourage me? I need you. And that you would actually pray to, pray to him for that. And then imagine that that's happening to someone else in the church and that God might actually want to use you to answer the prayer. Now, I have missed out on plenty of opportunities to pray for people because I hesitated. So I don't say it in shame, but I'm saying like, hey, don't you want to be a part of that in our church? So let's pray. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ, um, Lord, we, we pray knowing that there are many different views on this by trusted teachers. There are many views on this, um, even in the room. And Lord, we just say again that we worship you. We don't worship your gifts. We worship you, Lord. We don't worship these secondary issues. But Lord, we also want to be faithful to the text. And Lord, uh, we, we pray that you would meet each of us in exactly the place that you want us to be. That you meet each of us in exactly the ways that we need you. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak. Lord, we pray that you would speak more and more to our church. And, Lord, also that we can actually worship you and also that we can put all of these things uh, on the altar of worship for you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.